Hello, everybody. Welcome to Canaan STL Podcast, brought to you by Canaan Baptist Church, where we exist to connect you to what matters most, to God, to people, and to purpose. Hey, this is Pastor Daniel. Today, I'm joined by Pastor Martin Winslow. How are you doing today, Martin? Great. Fantastic. Merry almost Christmas. I know, right? Yeah, today is, the day of our recording is yeah. December the 1st. December 1st, the first Advent. Day. Advent begins. Yeah. Hey, do you know of any good Advent books? You know, there's so many out there, but there's just one that's just, you know, a yeah, cut above. I agree. What's that <laughs> The called? seventh birthday. <laughs> that's right, yeah. If you don't have your copy, order it now, Amazon.com, the seventh birthday. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a fun little Advent for families, written by the two of us. So yeah, pretty cool. Well, hey, we are, speaking of Advent, we're yep. starting an Advent podcast series uh, right now. Yeah. yeah. So just big, what is Advent? What does that word mean? Yeah. And why do we have this thing called Advent? Yeah, so Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. Yep. The Greek word is parousia, mm-hmm. but it has this idea of relating to the first and second comings of Christ whenever we talk about it. But in the early church, Advent wasn't just talking about the first coming itself, but like it, it was a season. Yes. That the church would celebrate. Yeah. So a time period leading up to that first coming, yep. and then we celebrate, we will celebrate in the future, the second coming, right? Right. the second Advent yeah, that's when right. he appears again. So. That's good. Yeah, so you mentioned, early, it's interesting. So Advent, a lot of churches that, that do the church calendar, that are liturgical, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. they they really go all out at Advent, right? Yeah. Uh, we as Baptists normally don't, and I, yeah. I'm not sure why we haven't done that in the past. I know we're kind of... Yeah. Not all about the church calendar per se, but there are some interesting things on the church calendar and some neat reminders and built in to our worship process, you know. But what what are your thoughts? Why why haven't we historically as Baptists celebrated Advent? Yeah, I I think because most of those traditions are tied historically to Catholicism. They they were begun during you know Catholic holidays and seasons, and so you know in Protestantism they got rid of a lot of that. In fact, whenever you see even the first Puritans, you know we just had Thanksgiving, but the first pilgrims that came across the ocean who were Puritans and separatists, they didn't even celebrate Christmas yeah. at all, right? Because right. it was tied to Christ Mass. Yeah. It was a, a Catholic holiday. So I think that's probably why. But I'd say this, and I think you would agree, if there was anything worth celebrating, right, in the in our calendar, the two things would be Christmas and Easter. Absolutely. Right? And yeah. we do it anyway. But, yeah, that's right. But we should make that's much right. of those seasons. Yeah, I agree. And that's why I really like Advent, and I really like Lent, not to do it in the Catholic way, but just to right. celebrate the season of Easter, Advent, to celebrate the season of Christmas, because yep. it's just a, a really powerful frame of mind to be in, and yeah. it's just a, a, a little bit heavier reminder, you know, yeah. of, of who Jesus is and what he's done. Yeah. And isn't well, it isn't it interesting, too, like, you think about it, like, if, if I asked you, what are your Christmas traditions? Right. Right? We all have them. Absolutely. But they're typically not, in Baptist life... They're not real spiritual ones, right? They're we, not. We They're go like, see lights. Yeah, we go see lights, or we, or for me, we, we eat lobster, you know, really? things like that. Yeah, which is a great <laughs> tradition, by yeah. the way. But yeah, you're right. It's not it's yeah. not a Jesus connected tradition. Right. Whereas in the liturgical fashion, this is one of the things I think is good about the church. Yes, the tradition of making Jesus the utmost of this, not just the day of Christmas, but the entire right. season, right? Yep. And that's, I think it's where Advent helps us. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. to give us a, an extra focus, yeah. if you will. Yeah, so having said that, um, I think what we're going to do this year, you know, which is different from the seventh birthday, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where we looked at the different miraculous births of Scripture leading up to the miraculous virgin birth yeah. of Jesus, is this year we're going to look at, um, through the podcast, just mm-hmm. look at the first Advent 
prophecies. Yeah. In other words, the the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, mm-hmm. the prophecies in the Old Testament about the first coming of Jesus. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so we're going we're going to unpack some of these. Now we're we're probably not going to be completely exhaustive cuz sure. you know there's books written on this, but right. we're going to look at just the highlights, some yeah. of the big ones. And, and we're going to start with the first one. Mm-hmm. In the book of Genesis chapter 3 uh, verse 15. So, um, you know, it's what this is called the proto evangelium in English or proto evangelion if you use the Greek pronunciation, which means what? Means the first gospel. The first gospel, yeah. And so we're in Genesis chapter three, which is an infamous chapter. That is the chapter where we see the fall of Adam and Eve and the 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 fall of creation itself because of that. And all these consequences are then divvied out by the Lord, yeah. right? God gives out consequences because of disobedience. Yep. He gives out consequences, um, first of all, to the to the to the serpent. And we, so we're going to pick up here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, says, The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, which is the this there refers to the deceiving of man and woman, woman first and then the man to eat of the forbidden fruit, right? So because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Kind of implies that he was the serpent wasn't on its belly before. So, you know, some interesting implications there, but that's not what we're looking at. Verse 15, here we go. I will put enmity, and what does the word enmity mean? It means hatred. Hatred. Yeah, animosity. We see the word enemy closely connect to enmity. So I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Okay, so there you go. There is the first gospel. So let's unpack that, right? So we have this this hatred now between the serpent, which of course, who is the serpent? Mm-hmm. That's Satan. Yeah. Between Satan and the woman, primarily humanity. She's the mother of all the living. Is what Eve means. And between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head. He, who is the he there? He will bruise your head. The he refers to who? The he refers to, um, here it refers to Jesus. Jesus, yes, the offspring of the woman. Of the woman, right. That's right. And then, but you, Satan, will bruise his, Jesus's heel. Right. So here's the first gospel, right? So, you know, if you kind of look at from Eve's perspective, mm-hmm. what was Eve's expectation in this? You know, if you just take it at face value, Eve would have expected that her children would have crushed the head of the enemy, right? right. Which is interesting. So uh, you go to chapter 4, and verse 1 says, Adam knew Eve, his wife. She conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten the man with the help of the Lord. And many scholars believe that this way that she says the man refers to she had the full expectation that right there in Cain would be the fulfillment of the prophecy. Right. And we know that's not the case, but but that was her mindset, right? So it's interesting that this is the first prophecy, the first mm-hmm. bit of hope that Satan would be crushed, right? right? right. So pretty, pretty interesting. There's a lot of other scriptures on this. What are some other scriptures that tie back to this specific Prophecy. Yeah, I think Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 definitely yep. ties back to this because it talks about a virgin having a child. And if you look carefully here at this, like you said, we could take this apart forever, but it says there's going to be enmity or hatred between 
uh, between your seed and her seed. Yes. We know biologically women don't have seed. That's, That's right. man. That's women right. have an egg. That's right. <laughs> and so how can this happen? It's actually an impossible hmm. thing that's being prophesied here. Yep. Um, how can her seed bruise the head of the serpent? And actually, a better translation of that is to crush hmm. the head of the serpent, yes. which is a mortal blow. Right. right? right. Now, you, uh, meaning the serpent, will bruise him on the heel, but your head will be crushed, is what it yes. says, by the seed of of the woman, yes. which doesn't really make any sense. And then whenever you couple that with Isaiah 7, verse 14, the virgin, behold, the virgin will be with child, Yeah, right? And what's his name going to be? Emmanuel, Emmanuel God with us. with us, right? Yeah. Which then kind of begins to hint at how this could make sense is this is not, this is not just any old person that's being born. This is God's son. Yes. So woman seed, which is impossible, which is God's son. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, there's and there's there's more on this. I mean, even the New Testament refers back to this several times. Yeah, right. Right. So you have uh, you have the First Timothy passage. Uh, things at the end of chapter two, uh, which is a very fascinating passage about this, and it's kind of a. You know, it's 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 kind of a mysterious passage for for many, but if you read this in light of first of uh, Genesis chapter three, it just really makes sense. Uh, do you have that? Go ahead and yeah. read that. Yeah, it says uh, here in First Timothy chapter two verse thirteen. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. So he's he's kind of moving. He's making an argument here for structure within the church, within yep. the body. Yeah, and he and he goes back to the creation to prove his point. Yes. So Adam who was made first, then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children. Hmm. If they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. There you go. So the women being saved through childbearing. Right. Does that mean that women are saved because they have babies? What about women that don't have babies? <laughs> right. You know, right. No, that's not what this means at all, right? right? So let's unpack that. What is yeah. what is Paul referring to here when he talks about this salvation of women? Is yeah. he talking about women or is he talking about the woman? He's, yes. And, yeah. and what does that mean through childbearing? Yeah, I think he's talking about the woman. In fact, some translations, if you take it a little bit more woodenly it's the woman will be women will be saved through the childbirth yes so we the think woman this will be saved back. through the childbirth yes through the childbirth and that's the childbirth right that is the most spectacular miracle that's ever been done in history absolutely which is the virgin birth of yes Jesus, that's right? right and i think it's interesting i think it was the early uh, church father irenaeus who he, he pointed to this whenever you look you know it's interesting because when we talk about genesis 3 we always talk about the the fall that's how we that's how we characterize that chapter. But in that chapter is also the gospel. Absolutely. Right? That's coming in the future. But you've got two thieves who are standing between they're they're next to a tree, right? And they've been deceived by a piece of fruit. Hmm. Okay? So it's Adam and Eve, and there's fruit there that deceived them. And so the whole question, according to like Irenaeus in the early church, was the question is beginning in Genesis three, how does the fruit get back on the tree? How is it undone? It's the woman who took it. Mm-hmm. How does the woman put it back? And that's what we see in Jesus. The second Adam is Jesus, but the second Eve is Mary, mm. who put her son on the tree yep. between two thieves. That's a good word picture. Isn't yeah. that kind of interesting? Yeah, you know? sure is. And in that, the fruit went back on the tree. Mm. And so God was pleased or satisfied. That's right. And that's the right. curse was reversed. Yep. But it started in Genesis Three. That's right. The you know, first gospel, proto evangelium, the first 
gospel. Yeah. yeah. There's also mentioned in Romans about this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at the end of the book of Romans, you've got a great passage of Scripture where Paul is definitely hinting at this fact. It's chapter 16, and <clears throat> and it says here... Verse 20. In verse 20, you want to read that? I don't have it. Yeah, it says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Yeah. Don't you love that, right? He's like... Yeah. He's going to squash him. Hey, God's grace be with you, right? He kind of goes from militant to gracious. It's pretty, pretty, pretty big shift in tone. But yeah. at the same time, we can have that grace because of the Lord Jesus, because he has crushed Satan's head. So, yeah, so here the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. His, yeah. his heel will crush your head, right? Yeah. It's exactly the same imagery, exactly the same picture. Right. You know, it's interesting, um, you know, about 20 years ago, um, Mel Gibson made that movie, The Passion yeah. of the Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And probably some of our listeners are probably younger today didn't didn't haven't seen that movie, yeah. but it was a big deal when it came out. Oh, like, yeah. like we our church, we rented the whole theater, invited a bunch of people, came. We had yeah. like I don't know like eight people get saved that night. It was really a powerful deal, yeah. and all it was was just the portrayal of the gospel. Now, of course, um, Mel Gibson's Catholic, so he included like the twelve stations of the cross, but he did right. do something in there that was really fascinating. Mm-hmm. If, I don't know if you remember this in the scene. The night that Jesus was praying in the garden. I do remember. You remember that, right? Praying in the garden the night before he's crucified. And they had this big scene where Satan is there lurking about. And then all of a sudden, he produces this serpent, which starts slithering towards Jesus while he's praying. And you remember what did Jesus do? He stomped that. He stomped the head of that serpent (laughs) into the ground. That's right. You know, and most people watching that movie um, that aren't familiar with Mm -hmm. this, 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 prophecy of the first gospel like what is that all about i don't read that in the book of matthew mark or luke or john right Right. what mel gibson was doing which is really genius is he was bringing in the first gospel because that was about to happen as jesus went to the cross the cross is what crushes the head of satan so the gospel so it's really powerful imagery right here And and if you knew that that was there and you saw that scene yeah you knew whoa that was it. I remember exactly what you're saying. I was like, I loved that scene. Yeah, absolutely. Because you knew the cross was coming and the resurrection. Yes, yes. Know? Which is Jesus crushing the head of Satan. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Really good. Really good stuff. So powerful first gospel here. Yeah. You know, even before their, you know, life gets going again. I mean, all this yeah. just happened. They're getting their consequences. Yeah. You know, their shame, there's mm-hmm. guilt. Adam and Eve are experiencing all those, you know, just crushing emotions yeah. and um, realities, mm-hmm. and God gives them that first hope right there, yeah. the first gospel, yeah. right there in Genesis 3. Yeah, and, and, and what graciousness of God, right? So the woman is the one who's originally disobedient, right? Yeah. I mean, Adam's responsible, but the woman takes the fruit, and for God to say, you know what? Your seed is going to crush the head of that serpent who deceived you. Yeah, that's right. That's amazing. It is. It is. What a gracious And isn't it awesome, too, going back to Genesis 4, that Eve just took God at his word, says, okay. So she was expecting that to be Cain. Now, it didn't really happen like that. Right, right. But that was her expectation. Mm -hmm. You know, I just love how honest the Bible is and how the real the the people are, Mm because, I mean, they're historical people, right? But just, you know, like... Like Nicodemus in John chapter 3, when Jesus yeah. says, unless you are born again, you can't enter the kingdom right. of God, right? What does Nicodemus say? Wait a minute. Yeah. How does that work? <laughs> Am I supposed to crawl up in my mother's womb a second yeah, time? Right. You know, like, ew. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but that's just, it, that would be the normal yeah. question asked. So I love how honest the Bible is. Yeah, so 
the first gospel. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've read this before, but there was a, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but there was this guy who was an MIT mathematician. He was a believer and he, he set out to calculate what are the, what are the odds? Because I think in the Old Testament, there's like over 300 prophecies that pertain to Jesus' first coming, right? Wow. And so he said, what are the odds of any one man fulfilling all of these prophecies in the most natural, customary, normal sense, right? So he ran these calculations, and he found that the odds were 1 out of 1 times 10 to the 159th power. Break that down for Yeah, me. so, okay. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's yeah. a 10 with 159 zeros wow. after it. So here just shows you how big that number is. If you were to take a quarter, just any random quarter, and you were to sign your name in a like in a mar- magic marker, a, a Sharpie, you sign your name on a quarter. You go and you combine that quarter with, a, with 1 times 10 to the 159th power quarters, mix it all up, right? Okay. Go and you could you could cover that many co- that many quarters would cover the entire state of Texas, two feet high. Wow! So the odds of one guy, oh my goodness, fulfilling all those prophecies, right? Be the like, same odds as you, you know, flying around the earth, randomly jumping out of a plane in a parachute, happen to land in Texas, reach down and pick up that very quarter you yeah, signed. It's not going to happen. It's no, impossible. that's right. It's impossible. That's right. Isn't that phenomenal? Mathematically impossible. Yes, one out of 10 to the 159th that's power. Incredible. That's the odds. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, don't bet don't bet against that one. No, <laughs> no, <know>? sir. <laughs> well, and people who say, why would you ever use the scripture like as your as your foundation for your worldview? Well, that's a pretty good starting point. Right absolutely. There, right? Yeah. All these things that we see just in Jesus. That's right. You know. Yep, absolutely. And we know, we know from like the Dead Sea Scrolls that they discovered that date 250 years before Christ that has all 66 chapters of Isaiah still has that prophecy is Isaiah 7 absolutely. in it. About the virgin will And have Isaiah a child. 9 about Isaiah a, 9. A, until you a child will be born a son will be That's given. Right. Or Isaiah, oh, Isaiah was it 53? 53. The, the whole cru- chapter the yes, crucifixion. The servant. Yes. Yes. yes, so powerful. Yeah, and that's completely intact. Hundreds yeah. of years before yeah, Jesus came, right. it's been verified. You know, so super, super fascinating. Hey, just real quick, let's look at one more quick one. Yeah. Micah chapter five. So a lot of prophecy, and, and we can look at these other ones, but just want to look at Micah chapter five, verse mm-hmm. two, right, where it says, "But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you." shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Mm-hmm. So here's a prophecy that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. Yeah. And he's mm-hmm. now, now what, what's this Ephrathah? Explain yeah. that. So there were several Bethlehems. That's right. And so this specifies which Bethlehem yeah. it was. So like in the ancient world, Alexander the Great would name like all these cities Alexandria. He had a, <laughs> right. e- a small ego problem. Yeah, right? just a little bit. Well, there's all these Bethlehems as well. So Bethlehem of Ephrathah, right, is like Arnold of Jefferson County. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, it's a specific one. And so when we see Jesus born in Bethlehem of Ephrathah, yes. we know that the prophet is making a prediction that is precise. Very precise. Going to be born. Yep. Yeah, very precise. That's right. And here's what's interesting. We're not going to look at all these verses, but mm-hmm. um, there was three prophecies in the Old Testament about where the Messiah would be from. Mm. You have 
Bethlehem of Ephrathah right here in Micah chapter 5. You also have that he would be called a Nazarene, meaning Mm -hmm. he would come from Nazareth. And then you have, out of Egypt I called my son. Mm -hmm. Right. Where, you know, even in Matthew refers to that prophecy yep. from the Old Testament. So how mm-hmm. could, I'm sure that the, I'm sure the Old Testament rabbis and, you know, the scholars before Jesus' day, I'm sure they wondered, how mm-hmm. can the Messiah be from Nazareth, be born in Bethlehem and come from Egypt? Right. How can, right. how can those three realities mm-hmm. uh, coexist right. and be in equally and accurately true? Right. You know, right. Right. so it's interesting to watch the story unfold. Jesus is born in Bethlehem out of a fluke thing, right? Right. Caesar uh, just happened, right, to demand a census be taken. Mm -hmm. So Joseph, being of the line of David, who lived in Nazareth, had to travel with his betrothed, had to travel to Bethlehem. Not an easy journey, Mm -hmm. but they had to make that travel because he had to be registered in the town of his his ancestors, which is Bethlehem, right? So that's when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And they're there probably about two Mm years-ish, Right, because you have Herod the Great come and he demands that all the children two right. years old and younger be killed, and so the the wise men come. Jesus is not an infant when the wise mm-hmm. men get there; he's probably a toddler. the The Greek word is for a toddler, yeah. young child. So you know he might be one and a half, two years old, yeah. somewhere in there. But the way the reason Herod <clears throat> said two years and younger, he ascertained the time of the appearing of the right. star and all that, right? So probably about a two-year window that they're in Bethlehem because it's just too complicated to travel yeah. when you got a little kid. And who knows? Maybe Mary had a little complications. We don't know all the story, yeah. right? But anyway, but then it's when in Bethlehem, it's when Joseph gets the dream, the right. warning that, hey, Herod's, Herod's massacre is coming. And so where did he tell him to go? He goes to Egypt. Yep. Tells him to go to Egypt and wait there. And so they go to Egypt and they're there a little bit. We don't know exactly how long, right? But then when Herod dies, God reveals that to Joseph. And then where does he go back? He goes back to Nazareth. To Nazareth. Which is in Galilee, way north. Way north. That's right. Of where he was born. And so Jesus essentially grows up as a Nazarene. So isn't that interesting? Yeah. So three prophecies that seem completely contradictory that end up only in the gospel making sense. That's right. That is, I have never heard that. I really and they are, yeah. and they are, and they're fulfilled in the most natural, normal right. sense. Right, it wasn't like allegory or anything wow. crazy. It was just exactly what it said. That's that's really good stuff. That reminds me, and we've got to get to it at some point in this series of Psalm one ten, where where the where there's this promise of a king who is also a priest. Which also yeah. doesn't make any sense. Right. We've got to talk that's about right. that later. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Sounds good. A lot of good ground to cover. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, well, that's going to be it for today, though. So, hey, we'll do uh, some more on the Advent prophecies next week. Until then, uh, send us any questions, comments, info at CanaanSTL.org. And um, pray you have a great week. And we'll talk to you next time on Canaan STL Podcast. Mm-hmm.